0: The Conservative Conscience. And welcome back to the real world here at The Conservative Conscience on Westwood One Podcast Network powered by Conservative Review. You know, this is the real world because everyone else in this business seems to be living in an alternative universe. Now, I know many of you are worried about my health this week um, (laughs) to ensure that my blood pressure doesn't blow up. Because uh, on the one hand, it's actually easier that I don't have to focus on 50 million issues. It's all one issue this week, and it's the wish, the issue in, most in my wheelhouse, the issue that I wrote a book about. But I know we, we had Jessica Vaughn on yesterday. I want to have Brandon Judd back. I had to reschedule with him. I want to have him on tomorrow. So I just wanted to do an extra show today. We usually don't have one um, in between on Tuesdays. But I wanted one today, and by the way, later today, if you get this in time, I will be on Mark Levin's show at 7.20 tonight to talk about the border invasion. But there is something going on that is just phenomenal, this dichotomy between your average person and the political class, including conservatives, the way they think, including some friends of mine. And – for today's show, I want to mainly focus on what we can do going forward. Donald Trump gave a pretty good speech on immigration today, pretty on message, but he's getting bad advice. And there's a lot he can be doing both rhetorically to speak the truth and also strategically to solve this problem. And when I say the problem, I don't mean the symptom of the problem One of the many, many symptoms of, oh, kids being separated because of the fault of the parents. I mean the problem itself, which is the invasion, the stolen sovereignty itself. You know, late yesterday, something happened that is a little bit off topic, but it exemplifies everything we're dealing with. Stolen sovereignty. A federal judge in Kansas said that the state of Kansas cannot check for proof of citizenship to vote. So there's no way you can verify the most basic criteria to vote to protect the franchise. That's the core of stolen sovereignty, and it's one of the theses of my book, Stolen Sovereignty. And to me, I said to myself, that's exactly what's happening. If you look broadly what's happening – we are told by the political class that illegals could do whatever the hell they want, and somehow they're not encumbered by technicalities, logistics, and laws. But somehow whenever we want to stop that and, and do the basic job of a federal or state government and protect our sovereignty, protect our franchise, protect our communities, protect our schools, there's nothing we can do. No, no, no. no. You're You're violating the law if you do that. Right? We're basically told that by the political class, by the lower courts, that illegals can come here, force themselves upon our schools, force themselves upon our institutions, be counted in the census, get registered to vote, disseminate drugs and gangs, demand access to abortions, have their kids counted as citizens. And there's not a darn thing we can do about it. And if we try, we are the ones being lawless. That doesn't pass the smell test with 90% of voters, 80% of voters, I'd say. But even conservatives are like, yeah, yeah, Mr. President, you got to stop this. You got to stop this. They're not worried about the problem. You know, a lot of my colleagues in this business, their audience is not God. It's the media, and that's the problem. You know, everything I do, I try to align with what I think God will want from me and what I will have to account for when I get up there. This is not to arrogantly say I have God on my side. It's that I do the best of my ability to be on God's side. I don't care about what the media says. Now, obviously, you know no one's perfect. I make mistakes. So we all make mistakes, and there's disagreements over things. But you never want to align yourself based on the virtue signaling of a social media lynch mob. But they're so caught up in it because they're on Twitter all day and social media. So they're like, oh, yeah, we've we got we to do something. And I think they're getting the politics wrong. And I think that, in fact, the heightened focus on the border actually theoretically should work to our benefit if we actually had a movement that understood the issue, that understood what should be done, and guided the president and messaged it properly. It could actually work to our advantage. Part of the problem we've had is it's been Mueller all the time. And we can never focus on the problems that illegal immigration is causing for Americans. I mean, we can never do that. No one wants to focus on that. And it's so frustrating. You know I've been focusing on this for years. So look, if if it's not going to be the needs of Americans, if it's going to be the needs of illegal aliens that's going to get people to focus on it, fine. But it's a perfect messaging. The fact that they're complaining – about separating kids that leads to the next logical decision. Oh, so you mean we should reunite them and deport them and ensure that they don't endanger Americans. See, that's the dirty little secret. They're coming up with polls and says, do you think that we should separate families? Gee, what do you think you're going to find? That doesn't mean anything. It's like these polls saying, all right, do you love the 120 degree weather or not? That doesn't tell you anything. It's, it's a BS poll. Broadly speaking, people agree with us on immigration. See, what the left does is they fool themselves with fake polling. You know, um, what they do is they isolate a largely abstract and, and mythical population of illegals and it caps, they encapsulate them into a poll, and it doesn't reflect the hearts and minds of where people's priorities are. If you ask a very straightforward question, do we have too much immigration or too little? Overwhelmingly, people say too much. Should immigrants assimilate? Should immigrants get welfare? Should immigrants have to learn English? Should it be a merit-based system? Should we only process people outside of our border so it doesn't harm Americans while we're trying to vet them? Or should we release them into our population? No 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 one talks about this. You know, according to the Federation for Immigration Reform, in places like Arlington, Virginia, unaccompanied minors cost locality thirty-three thousand a year per enrollee. State and local governments incur a forty four point four billion annual unfunded liability for young illegal aliens every year. And that doesn't include the twelve billion annual cost of state health care programs and eleven billion cost of criminal justice system. Who, who's looking out for that? Who's even talking about that? Don't tell me that would pull well. No, it wouldn't. We don't have a movement making the case and doing this rhetorical jujitsu. Oh, you're concerned about the separation of families. Actually, shouldn't we shut this all down? What if we got up there and said, and President Trump gave a primetime speech, I have a novel idea. We're shutting down illegal immigration. You can no longer come to immigrate through a border. You have to apply in your home country and if you're really legitimate asylum from Honduras, you're you're coming to Mexico anyway, so you should come through the Mexico City US embassy. Done. That is it. That is what we need to be doing. You know, right now, according to new data, the UN refugee refugee agency just published statistics today. Showing that asylum applications in this country are now at 330,000. That is the number one country in the world, topping Germany, which is a cesspool, at 198,000, almost doubling it, close to doubling it. That is the national emergency. And that's what most Americans are bothered by. This is a subset, this is a symptom. Yet, yeah, not only is it hurting Americans, it's hurting, you know, the innocuous, nonviolent people too. By being subjected to the drug cartels, the human traffickers. And then when they're resettled in our communities, they're predominantly with the bad guys that we're letting in through the same process. This is a perfect issue, but we don't have a movement. We have a bunch of virtue signalers. You know, even Ted Cruz, he has this. There's two bills today. Ted Cruz released a bill and Mark Meadows released a bill. Mark Meadows severed out the enforcement provisions of Goodlatte, you know, ending this refugee policy for Central American UACs, you know, properly interpreting asylum. Um, They, uh, you know, severed it out because I think the messaging is beautiful here. The messaging is why should we ever have to be heard? You know, by immigration policies. Why should we have to agree to an amnesty? See, this is something I didn't even like about Lad. Why should we have to agree to any form of amnesty in return for what we are owed as a nation, the enforcement? Forget, forget about the debate over legal immigration reforms. Let's sever out enforcement and do that only. So that's a good bill. Cruz's bill is dealing with the symptom, not shutting down the invasion from fake asylum and fake UACs, but... Oh let's have a quicker adjudication, more immigration judges um, you know, let's not separate families. wait a minute. Let's solve the problem for Americans and then when you solve that, incidentally you're not going to have the problem for the you know separating the families of illegals either. Donald Trump is absolutely right in his speech today. We don't need more judges. we need security. The judges, in fact, are the problem. Now, these aren't the immigration judges. These are the Article Three judges. But I want to get to that now. I want to get to a certain truth that I know Jessica Vaughn mentioned it yesterday on our show. But I, I want to flesh this out more because I think there's a lot of confusion here. Folks, here's the truth about what's going on at the border. We don't have an immigration law problem. We have a Judge Dolly G. problem. This is all a problem of one district judge. The reality is, let's break it down. You have two types of situations. There's the unaccompanied children who come alone, and then there are the family units. The situation is only with the family units who come not at the ports of entry but between the points of entry, which is most of them. So in order to deter it, the administration is prosecuting the parents, and then they separate the kids. This is where it's coming from. Well, why are they separated? Because of Judge Dolly G. It's one person. It's not a law. The law doesn't require any of this. Okay? According to the law, these people, the UACs are not UACs, and the family uh, units are not asylees. They should all be deported immediately and Trump should use section 212f to bolster that that we're shutting down asylum and all that for six months because this is a national emergency not that you have to declare one there, that has different implications I have to look into that there is some sort of national emergency immigration plan um written into statute but 2- 212f is you know just innocuously if he determines that it's detrimental to our interests he could shut down Any form, employment-based, family-based, and certainly asylum and UACs are no different. The UACs are not UACs. That has been proven incontrovertibly. They they come to the border alone, but ironically, it's the parents who separated themselves out from their own kids to come here that then go ahead and um, bring them in, pay coyotes to bring them in. So they are actually... Traffickers, and um, they should all be deported. So there's nothing keeping them here. In terms of the family units, they should all be deported. Now you're going to tell me, well, Daniel, don't you have to wait until the adjudication of the asylum? So again, for those that aren't yet here, we should at least start by stopping the flow. And Trump should say we are shutting down asylum, and he could do that. And you have to go to the Mexico City Embassy. For those already here, here's the deal. You might have heard of something called the Flores Agreement. Now, first of all, that is an agreement based on a Supreme Court settlement in 1997 that they agreed to um, not detain for longer than a few weeks children. But those are the UACs. They're not with their parents anyway. That's not the issue that everyone's talking about. And they're not real UACs. That was only for legitimate people. See, statutes that were used for the opposite situation, they're now being used against us. But it doesn't apply here. It's the family units. So the family units aren't covered by that agreement. It was only you can't lock up children alone. But we could take the children into custody with the parents. What happened was Judge Dolly G in June I want to say June twenty fourth, twenty fifteen, around then, and it was upheld by the Ninth Circus, but because it was the Obama administration, they only half-heartedly fought it and didn't appeal to the Supreme Court, she applied the Flores agreement that you have to let go out of detention children even that come as family members, meaning you can't detain them not just alone, but even with their parents. That is made up by Judge Dolly G. That's not only a, not a law, none of this is law, it's not even the Flores Agreement. She applied the Flores Agreement to even family units. That's the issue here. So every all the news should be Dolly G. Everyone should know about her. So we don't have a... Look, I said this before, the immigration laws are a problem to the extent that if you have a bad president who wants to abuse them, he could abuse them, you might want to tighten the statutes. But if you have Trump as president, there's nothing wrong with the statutes. The judges are breaking every aspect of immigration law. You can't deport anyone anymore. DACA is the law of the land. Do we need a statutory fix for that? Judges are saying you have a right to an abortion when you come here. Do we need a statutory fix for that? Judges are saying that Somalis and Yemenis have a right to come here and petition from Yemen to come here. Do we need a statutory fix for that? You know, Judges are saying – I'm not kidding. Judge Garufus from um, the Southern District of New York is saying that you have a right to – not be deported if you become an immigrant activist. I'm not kidding. You know, you can't play this cat and mat ma- cat and mouse game. At some point, you got to address the 800 pound gorilla in the room, and it's not even the Supreme Court. It's these lower court forum shopped judges, forum shopped judges. Trump needs to train all his fire on Dolly G. This is the same judge, by the way. By the way, who said? And I have this in my book. This might have been in 2015 was 2014. Uh, and and um th- this is unbelievable. Unbelievable. She said that there were 900 illegal aliens who were who were already deported to Mexico, I believe. She forced immigration officials to reopen their cases because in her estimation they may not may they may Not have been mentally competent during their deportation proceedings. And she found a new fundamental right for those illegal aliens with mental disabilities to avail themselves to taxpayer provided attorneys and force taxpayers to pay for their transportation back into America. Can you imagine that? And, you, you know, our founders always envisioned that immigration should never be a public charge. They didn't, you know, they wouldn't have accepted. Mental illness to begin with, much less to pay to bring them back. But actually, if you were caught here as um, a deportable, it, pursuant to 1891 law, the ship liner that brought you here had to pay for the fee to go back. And now we're making Americans pay to bring them back to America. It was the same judge. And this is the same judge in the travel bench. She was one of those judges that created not a statutory right. A Constitutional Establishment Clause of the First Amendment, Equal Protection Clause of the Fifth Amendment. And she actually said that um, in this case, she forced CBP to bring back an Iranian national from Qatar and and fly him in here. So you can't statute, I was going to make up a new term, statute yourself, you can't. Close loopholes. You can't. I mean, there's the the loopholes are the judges. There's not enough loopholes to close. They're not loopholes. It's a judge problem. So that needs to be Trump's number one message: fix the courts, kick the lower courts out of immigration. Louis Gombert's bill, HR fifty six forty eight, HR fifty six forty eight, to kick lower courts out of immigration. But in the meantime. Why are we preemptively surrendering to the courts? At least make a fight out of it, and at least make a lawsuit. Meaning, I have two. There's two parts of my plan: the Ninth Circuit and the Fifth Circuit. So, even in California and Arizona, where you it will go to the bad district judges, bad appellate judges, you're going to lose. But at least you know, start. You know, it would be a perfect opportunity. Again, this is part of today's theme: to use the outrage. Contrived by the media over separating illegal alien children from their parents to our benefit, to the benefit of the American people. Okay, so therefore we'll put them together in detention. They're going to lodge a lawsuit, which, by the way, they should never get standing for. But um, have a lawsuit and then let the people see it. Don't, don't go based on a 2015 ruling that no one ever heard of. Let them do it in real time, and Trump could then hold a press conference immediately and say, look, I tried to keep them together, and the judges are doing this. I demand judicial reform. That would be a perfect opportunity. But likewise, there's another strategy. And, And this is the point. Why I can understand – I mean I can't understand it, but, okay, we agree to the Dred Scott mentality of the Supreme Court. Whatever they say is gospel. But why are we taking any district judge, the lowest common denominator, they determine our entire border policy? What I mean by that is only Arizona and um, California are under the auspices of the Ninth Circuit. New Mexico is under the Tenth Circuit, and Texas is under the Fifth Circuit. Fifth Circuit is good why don't you at least apply this policy and unite them under detention in Texas? Okay. Texas, I'm looking right now at the CBP data from May, the last month and just eyeballing it, just eyeballing it here. Just give me a minute. There are three sectors. There's Rio Grande, Laredo and El Paso. There's actually four big Ben, but we don't get too much immigration because the, the terrain there, Um, almost all of them, the over, like there, there is, so there's nine border sectors that they divided up, you know, between nine border sectors. There were um, 59,000, 59,000 family unit apprehensions, 59,000 apprehensions in the first eight months of the fiscal year. These are family units. Um, looking here, thirty-six thousand. So the lion's share is from just the Rio Grande sector. That's the far east, McAllen, Texas. But if you add in Laredo, El Paso, and Big Bend, I mean that takes you to like. I can't do the math offhand, <laughs> but it's um, it's like seventy percent. Seventy percent are in Texas. So why don't we just, here's the deal. 70% of it you could solve. Do it in Texas. They'll have a lawsuit. But Judge Andrew Hannon of the Southern District of Texas, now you're not going to necessarily get him, but he, I have a ruling from him where he said Flores doesn't apply to this, to family units. He disagrees, as most sane judges would. You know, if we're going to have judicial supremacy, why go by the most liberal judge to let them sue you in Texas? And then it would go to the Fifth Circuit. And we'd likely win. You gotta push back. Also, Trump needs to negotiate NAFTA. Use the statecraft with Mexico and say, look, if you want NAFTA, we're gonna have a facility in, in Mexico, you know, maybe adjacent to the the embassy, because ultimately this is what needs to happen, like like Australia tried to do. Now I think they relented. It's gotta be taken off our soil. It's got to be done in a controlled environment off our soil where we don't have judges litigating them into status. The American people need to be protected, right? We need to err on not granting, not err on granting, not hurt the American people. They have to be protected. Then in a controlled fashion, we adjudicate their cases outside of the country. That's what he needs to do. Also, even the Flores Agreement, the base of the agreement, even for just children – Not with family units. My understanding is that was an agreement, and that could be vitiated right through not not you don't need statute. You could do it regulatory you know through regulatory procedure. Um, you know, I don't know how long that would take, but you wouldn't need Congress for that. Flores is not a law, it's a settlement. But I mean, this is the problem. You never have to lose out on sovereignty. There's always a choice. Don't ever forget that. This is about so much more than any one provision. This is all stolen sovereignty and no one is speaking to this. You know, as I'm reading, I'm seeing, "Oh, McConnell saying they're going to have a bill." I mean, we we go for years without addressing sanctuary cities and the tens of thousands of Americans killed by them. When you count the drugs, the schools, the cost, nothing. Oh, but illegals, man, we're going to have a bill in three three days. I mean, we're coming up on July 4th, governance by the consent to govern, popular sovereignty. We are violating the founding of this country, the social contract, where the American people just don't matter and illegal aliens are everything. We are strangers in our own land. So we're going to have a lot more on this. I'm running out of air. I'm running out of time. I got to go soon. But I wanted to just give you this update on what's going on, um, and some of my ideas, and how we could actually use this as it, to our advantage. To say, look, you don't—you're not going to use the Americans' plight to act on immigration. Look, if this is. If this is what it takes to get you to act, to worry about illegals, fine. But we need a movement to steer it in the right direction, not to treat the symptom of the needs of illegals, but to treat the problem of the invasion and cut it off at its head. So then, obviously, you're protecting everyone. You're stopping um, the harm to America, but you're also preventing the just the downstream tragedy with the migrants, the ones that are at least deserving sympathy. A lot of them aren't. So that's the story here. A um, lot of stuff going on, a lot, a lot, a lot of stuff. I just want to end with this. Um, and by the way, first off, if you enjoy someone who is willing to speak the truth and just doesn't give a darn, I need you to support our sponsors, We the People Holsters. And do yourself a favor because they don't give a darn about criminal aliens in sanctuary cities. You're going to need protection, especially if you live in a place like I do. Um, you need to carry and you need to have a custom made holster with all of its parts made with love and care in America by conservatives at We the People Holsters. Um, go to we the people forward slash conservative. That's the landing page for the conservative conscience audience. Get 10 bucks off free shipping. I'm telling you, these are good products. I'm actually I have my outside the waistband holster from for my uh H and K VP9 right on my hip. I can't carry out outside my home, but I often carry inside. Um, it's that bed where I live. But anyway, I want to get to the Bible. Um, really, we need to do a whole show on this, but the bastardization of biblical verses. All the verses they talk about about treating a foreigner, giving him refuge, giving him this. The word that they translate as foreigner is ger g-e-r in hebrew it's called gimel Raish. it means a jewish convert okay and there's two levels of jewish converts there's one that was a full shebang like kosher the sabbath you name it um you keep all the you know old testament then there's there was um A lower level of a ger, which was just someone who would come to to swear off paganism. Everyone else was a pagan back then, Um, but you know he he didn't he he didn't act as a Jew. He just um, swore off paganism. It's those people that it's talking about. It's a religious conversion to this day in Judaism. A ger is referred to affectionately, you know, with affection. A ger, a Jewish convert. It's not a nationality and immigration. It's just not talking about that. And I'll just give you an example of just how laughable this is. Um, There's a verse in Deuteronomy, uh, forgetting, gosh, you know, I I didn't prepare to talk about this, but, um, you know, it's roughly in middle and it talks about, it's where it talks about, you know, kosher food and, you know, the type of animals you could eat. And ritual slaughter, you know, you know, a Jew can't eat an animal that's shot; it has to be ritually slaughtered. So, you know, it says, "Well, what what happens if you don't have something that was properly slaughtered? It's not kosher meat, so to speak." So you got to go and um, you get you you give it to what they will call, I believe, is translated as foreigner. Now the word is really a gare. Now this is not a, a full one because he keeps kosher. This is the type who doesn't keep kosher, but he swears off paganism. So that's the perfect guy. That you know you have a nice juicy uh, ham sandwich. It's a shame to to let it go to waste. The the um, Bible is, uh, is is commands you not to waste. You can, you're not allowed to waste things. Um. So hey, I can't eat it, but hey, why don't you eat it? So you give it to him. Look at the absurdity of translating that as an immigrant. So, you know, let's say I'm a a Jewish guy living in America right now, and I want to live biblical values. So someone gives me a nice non-kosher piece of meat, and I'm like, man, what a shame. You know, I always wish I could have bacon. (laughs) It just it smells great. and But what could I do? God tells me not to eat it. Fine. So I want to give it to someone. So let's say I have a guy who, a Jewish guy from, I don't know, Australia, who immigrates to America and lives next door to me. Can I give it to him? Give it to the immigrant? No. It means give it to a non-Jew. <laughs> it's it just it's it just the absurdity of the way they translate it. You got to understand the exegesis of the Hebrew word. Um, and, you know, again, I could go on and on, and I, I don't have time, but All these places, it's not talking about sovereignty and the rule of law. It's talking about either personal relationships or just, you know, technical biblical laws that Jews keep, that the Israelites had to keep. It's not talking about anything that they say it's talking about. Where it does address nation states and sovereignty, it's the exact opposite. Think about this. The Jews are traveling out of Egypt led literally by God. God literally leads them with a pillar of fire, clouds, does open miracles for them, vanquishes their enemies. Anything they want, he does. You're my chosen people, takes them to Mount Sinai, gives them the laws, you're my people, you're going to inherit the land, we're going to vanquish your enemies. That's where the term thorn in the side comes from. Don't you know? let them live, there'll be a thorn in your side, vanquish them. But nonetheless, on the way towards their land, they wanted to just, you know, not not, you know, ravage the lands, but just to orderly pass through Edom and Moab. That was a shortcut. And Moses said, "Look, you know, please, could you let us in? Um, Will we have our own food and water? But we'll we'll pay for it to stimulate your economy. So certainly, we're not going to take from you. Um, notice the values there." And think about it. He could do whatever he wants, and he doesn't do anything without God's consent, and he should have just killed them. And instead, they came out with their army, and they secured their border and said, no, we're not letting you in. So you would think God would get angry at them and kill them. Because what's amazing is just later on, the next battle, they you know are forced to take a, the long way, and they go towards what's modern-day Jordan, the other side of the Jordan River and land of Sihon and Og which was which they were inheriting as part of the auxiliary land that two and a half tribes got you know before they crossed the Jordan into the main land of Israel the Canaan God vanquished every last person why didn't god say screw this i'm not going to have my people take a you know a long way through they, they, they come out and you know don't want to let you in and when you're going to pay for things and not cause any trouble kill them you see God wasn't bothered by what they did and in fact Moses had to listen Moses had to listen God was directing them that's how strong sovereignty is that unless God wants to get rid of you and you know to fulfill the prophecies he wants to give them the land this was you know Moab and Edom weren't part of it and by the way God you know as you see from the rest of the bible he hated those two nations god didn't think too favorably of them um you have obadiah who has the prophecy on the destruction of 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 edom um you know it's a pretty strong language there god calls him just the disgusting one um doesn't believe in them but nonetheless you have the right to your land and it wasn't time to get rid of them until god puts his legs on on uh, the Mount of Olives and the Messiah comes. But until then, they got to keep their land. And we had no right, even when you're going with the writ of God, to trespass that. Much less settle there permanently, bringing gang crimes, drugs, be a tremendous burden, attenuate your culture, no, not at all. And obviously, assimilation, abiding by the laws of the land and the culture—it's it's all over the Bible. I can go on and on with Nehemiah and you know the wall. It just most places you don't find nation states because you didn't have big sovereigns. You had at best cities, but you can never just move there on your own. It's talking about someone who once he's there and he converts to Judaism. Now you again. Countries were monolithic. So usually, by definition, you're coming from a different land. also, you're changing geography and nationality along with your religion. But it's not commanding you. it's not treating you well as an immigrant, not that a legitimate Im- immigrant we shouldn't treat well. Um, it's that it, it's a commandment for religious converts. How did they originally get in the country? It doesn't address that. and everything else we know, you know, you have the right to govern that. and, and Again, fundamentally, fundamentally, this is rooted in all laws. Forget about immigration. You know, the Bible is all about charity. Charity, 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 charity. All about charity. All different forms. Help the poor, help the um, widow, the orphan. The Levites that didn't have, they didn't get a, a portion in the land, so they didn't have their own land. But what's interesting is when it comes that that's in your private relationship with man and God. But when it comes to public policy, which you don't see much of it, in the Bible, there's a, a couple places, and I pointed out one. And there's with Nehemiah, there's a couple places, but they're just bastardizing it. Most of it is not liberal or conservative. It's not really t- speaking of that. But the areas where it does, when it talks about courts, you have a poor man and a rich man do not favor the poor, it says. It's an unbelievable thing. Think about it. You have two people one man that doesn't have a penny to his name, one is a billionaire, Bill Gates. And Bill Gates takes the other guy to court and says, you owe me $100. And indeed, he owes him the $100. The Bible is telling you, you must support him. You must give him charity. And yet, at the same time, if you come to court, what does God want from you, the judge? Do not favor him. You have to render the opinion, the rule of law. You owe the rich guy $100. Now, when you get out of court, what does God want from you? He wants you to get charity. But this is – it's funny. This is literally what Amity, Amity Schlaes wrote about in her book on the Great Depression, The Forgotten Man. She means by the forgotten man with redistribution of wealth that it's you have C takes from B to give to A. That is against the Bible. The Bible wants you to give. What the Bible is absolutely against is having C take from you to give to A and especially using the Buddha government. And, and, that, and, and these are people that you're responsible for in the sovereign, among the sovereign, your own people. And what's amazing is obviously you have you know, the Catholic Church and you have you know, plenty of religious organizations that promote socialism on domestic policy. But I'm talking about the, the more politically conservative ones and, and many of my colleagues. They all seem to have moral clarity on that. When it comes to domestic poor people and re- redistribution of wealth. But somehow, when you extrapolate this to a foreign population that's impoverished and, and is a public charge, they get all wee weed up. They just lose themselves. When it comes to people that you have less of a requirement to care for, you know, it says that you must lend and give money to, um, it says it's in Exodus, to the poor person among you who lives in your city. Where you're responsible to your own, for your own people first. Your own family comes first, then your city, then your country. That comes first. And that's even at an individual giving level, much less a public policy level, where your responsibility is for your people. And yet still you don't redistribute to the poor. How much more so other people? I can go on and on forever about this. I don't want to bore you know some of you with this discussion. Let me know if you find it interesting. I'll talk about it more. But anyway, we have a tremendous opportunity when people are actually focusing on this issue to make the right plays. Will we do it? We'll find out soon. Thanks for listening. God bless. This has been another episode of The Conservative Conscience.